0: Hi and welcome everyone to CRM Rocks. This is the 37th episode and I am Marcus Allenson and today's podcast will be about developing for CRM and with me today I have Mitch Milan. This is actually the second time we've recorded this because the last recording got lost. But anyway, here we go. Mitch leads two companies, CRM Accelerators and XRM Coaches, which provide solutions, architecture, design, development and developer training to organizations utilizing Microsoft Dynamics CRM. Mitch is a ten time Microsoft most valuable professional for Dynamics CRM as has been in the computer industry for over 30 years. Welcome back, Mitch Milam. Thanks, Marcus
1: how are you doing doing great good to be here again again
0: yeah <laughs> yeah so you've been on the show before on episode four um, a long time ago now
1: yeah a long time ago you're doing uh doing pretty good i'm glad to glad to see you keep going at uh, i know it's a lot of work and i'm sure your listeners appreciate that
0: yeah thank you for that so uh what do you do on your free time
1: well, I have a few hobbies. Um, I've got a new blog I'm starting up here shortly called The Board Creative. It was just uh, uh, basically I was looking for a website idea, and um, uh, I came up with that. It was actually available, so uh, probably next month I'm going to start it up, and it's just going to show some of my hobbies and things I'm doing. Like right now, I'm actually working on a project in the backyard. I came up with everybody's doing these 21-day challenges. I thought I would do a 21-day challenge working on my backyard. So I do uh, basically like uh, two weekends worth of work. I've split that over 21 days, and that way I don't uh, feel overwhelmed or feel guilty about uh, not uh, doing client work, et cetera. So it should be interesting.
0: So that is what you do when you get bored then. Absolutely. So let's jump into this, and, and let's try to start with the news then. So, so in CRM 2016, we have this new REST-based web API. That's correct. So, what is it?
1: Well, um, what they did is uh, previous to 2016, and in the uh, the latter stages of uh, 2015 uh, online, um, we we had two different mechanisms for actually communicating with CRM. Uh, using, say, JavaScript for instance, um, one was with a SOAP protocol, which handled pretty much everything that CRM did, and then they had a REST protocol, which was uh, new to CRM, I guess 20. 11, 2013. And what it did was like to create, read, update, and delete records or the CRUD operations. What they were trying to do is consolidate those into a single unified API that any of the clients could use. So when I say any clients, I'm really not start, I'm really not talking about the net type of thing um where you're still using plugins and and uh, custom workflow activities and uh, uh custom integrations and things those we still use our DLLs for that we always have but for javascript for our mobile devices for uh anything that is say not uh, javascript or not uh, c sharp or net they have a new mechanism and it encompasses not only the crud operations that the uh, earlier version um uh, uh had inside but also many of the standard things that Uh, we were using the SOAP protocol for. So, for instance, things like assigning records and setting associations and all the things that we were doing with the SDK, we now have a good probably 80% or more available to us using this new API.
0: This means that it
1: is sort
0: of a REST-based API then, but it's just called the web API?
1: Yeah, it's just called the web API, yep.
0: All right. So if I start to do this in Visual Studio, then do I have any support or any for that?
1: Um, there's a little bit of IntelliSense. There are several different uh, OData um, uh, uh, tools out there that will allow you to actually generate code based on the metadata that can be downloaded from the site. Um, Jason Latimer, uh, one of uh, the other MVPs, he has a tool called CRM REST Builder, which will allow you to build out... Um, uh, basically, it's just a solution you install, and it will generate code for a variety of um, uh, third-party uh, connections, so the CRM Service Toolkit, the CRM SVC Toolkit, uh, the different uh, uh, parts that are in, inside this of uh, the SDK itself, and just uh, just today, actually – he updated his uh, REST Builder to version 2.3, and he's included um, the new Web API support for that. So that just happened today. So today is uh, uh, January 18th, and so that was released today. I, in fact, it, it's so new I have not even had a chance to open it up and look at it. So um, I'm, I'm anxious to see what he's done with that. But that's a tool that you can use to actually generate the code for you so you don't have to uh, do all the hard work.
0: Oh, and that's great then. So we will look into that and add uh, the links to that to the show notes, show notes. then so yep. everyone can find it easily. Absolutely. So um, does this mean that I can then sort of know what I'm sending in and what I'm getting back when I try to develop for this in Visual Studio?
1: Uh, absolutely. So again, it's really not um, Visual Studio per se, this one tool, but some of the other tools, and again, this this is a absolutely nothing to do with CRM. The data that is, is handed back from the web API is OData um, 4.0. And there are tools that when they, when they uh, you run them against the metadata um, will actually generate uh, sharp classes or VB classes for you. So that will give you your intelligence and things like that. And then you just have to wrap some of the, the calls in, in um, uh, whatever kind of mechanism that you use to communicate with. So uh, it's, it's actually a, pretty decent uh, way of doing things. Um, like I said, it's it's mainly used for uh, for JavaScript and for um, things like uh, mobile devices and stuff, or even dot, uh, non-.net languages in JavaScript like, uh, say, PHP or something like that.
0: Yes, that, that was my thinking. I'm, I might use this in, a say, just a CRM form then, so I have this JavaScript and I will try to make this call and that's where I was thinking that I will use Visual Studio, but if you say like PHP,
1: perhaps you're not even there. You're in a you're probably totally, even different yep, and- totally different environment. Yep, totally different environment. Right, and quite honestly, the, the IntelliSense, well, there is no IntelliSense for this stuff. The only IntelliSense is if, if, you, if you're writing C Sharp or VB.net, and again, that's going to be for probably mobile apps. Um, you really don't want to use the new web API for your uh, any kind of integration code that you might write that's custom integration or any plugins or or um, uh, custom workflow activities strictly because the, uh, the DLLs that ship with the SDK are still uh, the, the way preferred way to go with those.
0: Yeah, and that's great to know. And I was thinking, like David Berry mm-hmm. had done a, a TypeScript sort of library where you added the methods available for for all the calls. So when you added that to Visual Studio, you get like a control space intelligence, so you can see what methods were available and what they returned for type of objects and. I find that type of help really valuable so you don't have to have a second screen or a paper beside you to tell you what's available to you. That's
1: true. That's true. Very good.
0: All right. So what should or could you develop for CRM if we try to lift this to a bit of a more of a generic question?
1: You mean with the Web API? Yeah,
0: or in general.
1: Well, I think the Web API stuff is, uh, uh, again, most of the things are not really going to change between what you were doing and, and what you can do now. What is going to really uh, give you a chance to, to overcome is the um, having to create a SOAP packet uh, via XML, which is, is there's two or three ways to do it, and they're, they're kind of tedious to do. So what this will actually do is, is uh, reduce the amount of code that you're actually creating by hand. Um, like I said, with Jason's tool, if you can use this to actually generate code, I mean, that's just the best thing about that at all. How do you develop for web resources? So, um, there are, are several tools out there that are available. Um, there's part of the XRM service toolkit that will actually. Um, uh, sorry, not the XRM toolkit, not the XRM service toolkit. I apologize. The XRM toolkit, which is uh, by another uh, MVP and uh, some of his associates, so that has a variety of tools. One of which allows you to pull out uh, JavaScript res- uh, web resources, or actually all the web resources, and allows you to update them and then push them back in. That's great. I also use the. Um, uh, CRM Solution Manager from Simply Software, and that is a, a really great tool. I recommend that to all my customers uh, and, and the people that I, I train on a variety of things. That allows you to actually create things from within Visual Studio, publish them back into CRM. It uh, it has a firsthand knowledge of how to work with web resources, of how to work with custom workflow activities, um, uh, plugins, ins uh, the ribbon, uh, sorry, the sitemap, a little bit of ribbon there, but mostly the sitemap, and uh, otherwise just allows you to keep everything inside of Visual Studio, which allows you to put it inside some kind of source control system like TFS or Git.
0: All right, so that was a lot of things in one go. So you were talking about web resource, and with that, Mm -hmm. you mean like JavaScript, HTML? Like JavaScript,
1: HTML, things like that. So it really helps to have some kind of uh, source control for that type of thing. The the problem is you have to get it out of CRM and into something like Visual Studio that allows you to edit it. And so um, the XRM toolkit has a tool that will pull things out that you can add um, to, to Visual Studio, um, but the, the CRM Solution Manager will actually runs inside of Visual Studio. So it will pull, pull it out directly. It will create a solution for you and maintain that and then allow you to push it directly uh, from Visual Studio into CRM. And there's really no export or import like that. It, it's, it's a direct connection from and to CRM.
0: So this helps when I try to, when I develop more and more things for CRM. I, I mean, like, I extend CRM and I hmm. do a custom button that will open up an HTML and that will have some functions and that will do some other things. And And this is really good for that type of solution where you have this, oh, I want a new custom page and I want this and that custom feature that the the customer wants to help automate their process. Right. All right. So yes, it does. Do you do any Silverlight
1: nowadays? No, not 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 at all. Uh I mean realistically, um uh mobile killed the uh, Silverlight uh client strictly because uh none if any of the um devices let you install plugins, which is which is what Silverlight is. Silverlight is a plug And then a lot of the browsers don't uh, do that. So there are a few things like the the um ribbon work wrench from uh, Scott Dureau. Um that's a tool that i think everybody uses or should use to maintain or modify the ribbon and uh, command bars um that's all written in silverlight so it does have a place but just realistically if you're doing anything related to mobile uh or anything like that if if you're still uh if you're still just using um i um Uh, basically enterprise-level stuff that is not mobile-dependent or mobile-ready, then you can use Silverlight to do things with. Um, But if you ever have to entertain the possibility of the um, mobile uh, coming into the picture, then you're going to have to go with some kind of straight um, HTML-slash-JavaScript solution, unfortunately.
0: And then you were talking about plugins and custom workflow activities here. And, and that's more like server side custom dot net code inside. Yes. The-
1: yeah, so when you create a plugin, it actually, uh, when you register the plugin, it will, uh, literally plug into the, uh, the platform itself. So CRM really and truly doesn't know when it's running your code versus its code. It's all one big uh, pipeline that the data goes through. You choose where the plugin is executed. So you can execute it before the data hits the database. You can execute it after the database hits the data. The data hits the database. Um, you can uh, select uh, what the entity is, what the message is. So that could be things like create or update or delete, things like that. So you you as the developer decide when your code should be executed, and then um, uh, basically just uh, modify whatever uh, you need to modify to make the the system work.
0: So if we reference back to the web API, if you do a uh... CRUD type of scenario where you do send mm-hmm. data that could be manipulated by
1: a plugin in at
0: the server side. Then. Yes. Uh,
1: basically as long as, as the serum uh, user interface is being used or the serum uh, SDK is being used, then the plugins uh, will always interact with the data. The only times the plugin would never interact with the data is if you were on premises and it wrote to the database directly, which is you're not supposed to do. But that's a that does happen sometimes. So if you write into the database directly, then it will actually uh, bypass the um, the data pipeline. Yes, and security and security and all the integrity and all. Integrity other and all <laughs> that. So don't
0: do that. Yeah.
1: So don't do that. Exactly. Don't do that unless you absolutely have to. There are reasons why you would do that, but there are very few and very far between.
0: Yeah. So then you, you rush to say, okay, you want this in Visual Studio to have source control about it. So, yes. so, so talk about a little bit about source control and why that's so good.
1: Well, um. People make mistakes, and uh, people change their mind. And if you have a reference that you can revert back to so you find the problem or you, you so you find that you have either a bad design or a bug or something like that, having a source control system allows you to move to a version that was prior to the one you're working on, either directly prior or maybe several versions um, older than that, um, and allows you to actually uh, – Move the code from the previous version to the current version to fix the bug, or at least you can figure out where the problem happened. Uh, likewise, sometimes the business changes, and an idea that somebody thought was a really great idea today is not the same idea as they have a month from now. So the code you write today maybe it needs to be put back to the way it was last month. And having a source control system to allow you to do uh, to revert to code that was older uh, is, is is invaluable. Um, This is especially true when you're doing um, uh, migrations or updates or anything where you're changing code and you need to have a copy of it. And so that you need to have multiple revisions and copies and you can have multiple people work on things at the same time. You can merge your changes in without uh, too much effort uh, because occasionally the same, uh, different people work on the same piece of code. And when you go to check that piece of code in, as it's called checking in, um, the system will tell you that there are some discrepancies and and allow you to either manually or programmatically um, or manually or automatically, sorry, not programmatically, manually or automatically um, merge those changes from different authors into the same code base so that you have, uh, hopefully, both sets of changes from both authors. So
0: we were talking about web resources and plugins and custom workflow activities. This is all code, and that you keep under source control. Do you keep other stuff under source control too?
1: You can keep a lot of a lot of things under source control. Um, one of the customers I used to have, um, we had an automated build system. And one of the things that uh, we did is um, they had managed uh, solutions in, in production. So our build system was um, semi-automated. And after you answered a, a few questions, it would uh, increment the version number of the solution. It would create an... Um, a managed and an unmanaged version of the solution, and then it would copy those two solutions into uh, TFS or Team Foundation Services and actually put them in there so that we had a, a, um, a current copy of all the solutions. So if something happened, we could actually revert back to a prior version. So uh, you could store pretty much any file inside of a um, uh, source control system.
0: But they're better at text-based files rather than binary files that you were talking about here, right?
1: Yeah, if if you want to do things like comparisons and um um uh, merging and changes, yeah, yeah changes and things, yeah, you're probably gonna to have to have a, the text-based solution. Absolutely.
0: All right, but uh, okay, so. You, uh, do you talk about configuration then, or do you talk about just customizations, or what do you include in that?
1: Right now, it's really and truly just about code. Um, you could put some of your configuration data inside CRM. Um, there's tools that allow you to, to pull it out of one system and put it into another that ship with the SDK. But realistically, it's, it's not, um, uh, it's not to a point where you can export out the, uh, say the XML version of your solution and, and put that into source control and just pick and choose which pieces come out. Um, hopefully at one point we'll, we'll get to the point where, uh, we can literally build our solution from a uh, source control repository of some point. But at this point in time, it's really is just not, not going to happen.
0: So a scenario might be that you need free items in a in a list inside the CRM and you might export them and serialize them as JSON data and check that into your source control of choice and and then export them back and get them into CRM. And that might be a scenario where you get this text-based and it's still just
1: customized. It's still just config data. Absolutely. Like As you mentioned, uh, serialized into JSON, so that's just a text file. So again, any kind of text file like that can be um, added to source control without a problem.
0: You were talking about TFS. Do you use Git too?
1: I use Git uh, for a lot of like open source type things, um, but my my solution of choice is uh, uh, Visual Studio Online, which is a version of of TFS, and uh, I use that for all of my customer projects and internal projects for things that I work on.
0: Do you do open source in GitHub also?
1: Yes, that's where all my open source stuff is, is on GitHub. I have a few things on CodePlex, but most everything is on GitHub now. If I am doing a solution, let's say on the web resources,
0: how do you think about tests?
1: Well, that is a good question. Um, There are some testing things out there to test your JavaScript. QUnit is one that I've seen used by several different people. I've actually never really used it personally myself. That's actually on my list of things to to, uh, get a lot of hands-on experience uh, so that uh, most I can tell other people about it. And um, uh, other than that, just using the, the tools that are part of Visual Studio. So most of those are .NET oriented, but there are a few that are built in that are JavaScript related, but most of them are .NET.
0: So if we go to .NET Focus, then plugins and workflow activities and,
1: let's say, other server-side things. Right. So basically, when, when it comes to plugins and custom workflow activities, the main thing that you, you want to do when you're creating a testing system, and at this point we're talking about unit tests, so this tests out the various branches of your code and, and to make sure that it's actually running uh, correctly, um, you have to design your plugins to be testable. Um, so what that means is your plugin has to be constructed in a way that allows you to test the various components of the plugin without having to possibly execute the plugin inside CRM. So there's a couple different ways around that. One of those is uh, in, in all of my plugins, I do I very seldom put all of the code inside the main plugin class. I actually put it into a different class or classes so that I can create individual unit tests against the methods within those classes. Um, the second thing is uh, uh, there's a testing framework that I, I got off the Internet from a guy named Eric Poole who used to work for Avanade, and um, I modified it to do things. And that's actually going to be part of my upcoming uh, book on uh, plug-in development. Um, but it allows me to actually run the plugin uh, live and to be able to debug it from within Visual Studio without actually having deployed it to CRM. So I'm still I'm still passing the data into uh, the plugin. The plugin executes as it would normally. Um, you provide a simulated environment to where it thinks it's inside CRM and it uh, executes normally. And then what happens is um, any problems that you have that uh, are going to be related to the plugin, you can actually debug in a in a, a live circumstance instead of having to do the replay, which is what the uh, plugin registration tool allows you to do.
0: So this means that you supply it with like, okay, this is the free attributes that I've changed in the form, and yep. this is the data that is coming in, and then I yep. expect
1: this output from that. Absolutely. So you prepare the environment, so that's like the server, uh, what entity you're working on, what message was passed in, what data was passed in, then you execute your... Um, uh, your plug-in, and then uh, it will just run through its normal operation, and then there's some follow-on code afterwards. Like if it, it was supposed to actually create something, say it was working on a, a create method, it will actually create the record that it, it was working on just to make sure it worked, that the data that was supplied to it was correct and things like that. So uh, basically it simulates the beginning of the of the environment, um, then it executes your, your code, and then it finishes up the actual exec- execution of the plugin just like it would inside CRM. So basically, it's, it's kind of like a simulator inside of, uh, um, inside of just a standard .NET environment.
0: Do you think that's better than the plugin registration tool that you can use to capture data from CRM and then replay
1: that in that tool? I think, it's, I think it's more valuable when you're in the early development phases and you're trying to make sure that you're not uh, having any kind of odd interactions with CRM. So if you're modifying data and things like that, and you want to make sure that your plugin is not running into any just design issues, it's very valuable for that. But sometimes uh, using the plugin registration tools replay mechanism, you can find issues that uh, maybe you didn't develop for. So something specific to the way somebody did something or the data that was being passed in or maybe the, there was a change done to the entity that you didn't uh, know about and it caused your plugin to fail somehow.
0: Yeah, let's say that someone is is removing something from the form and that is no longer available on the create and you depend dependent on that value in the plugin and that's really hard to, to find without actually doing the test in CRM. Absolutely. Do you think this uh, thinking about tests keeps the things shorter, or does it just generally help
1: to thing, keep things short? Um, I think it helps you uh, make sure that your code is viable, so that you don't uh, waste time in production. Um, you know, there's there's data out there that shows how much a bug fixed in production is versus a bug fixed in development. And it is gets quite a quite a large difference in between the two. So being able to test your code, especially if you're doing things like um, uh, preparing, uh, you know, some kind of string that you're adding to. You know, see, your uh, one of the plugin uh, the plugins that I have in, in some of my classes is, a, is to create a um, what we call a formal name, which takes the the prefix, the person's full name, and the suffix, and adds them all together. And using, I was I was giving a demonstration of unit test to one of my classes uh, about a month ago, and I actually found bugs in my code that I had given them that I had never anticipated because of way that things could be passed into the to the uh, plugin. And using that as a learning experience, we actually created a series of tests to actually prove out the code. We found a problem, we went and found the problem, fixed it and ran the test again, once that passed, we basically were able to create uh, five or six or eight tests that will allow us to make sure that no matter what was actually passed into the plugin, that we always had the same result every time, and that's exactly what you're after.
0: Yes, Uh, and developing plugins uh, is is easier to test if they do one thing only. Absolutely, yeah. And that was the thing I was trying to get at here, that, that keeping... Things separated is always easier, so you don't mix up A, B, and C into some pl- same plugin, and and that makes the test easier, and that makes the development and the production easier.
1: Right. If you have a lot of plugins, it's um, it is actually easier to have them inside of one plugin, physical plugin, strictly because you only you know where the code is being executed um and that's really just a kind of a design structure from the very beginning um the problem is if you uh, how that how that can get you into trouble is if you have multiple plugins all executing on the same entity at the same time sometimes they will actually cause issues with each other that has nothing to do with the actual operation um taking place so um having a really good grasp of how your plugins interact with each other is very very important yeah that's
0: good to know so if you have troubles and you say you messed up this, and, and do you have some kind of error handling for these scenarios? Uh, so, sorry, say that again, please. Error handling, how do you think about that?
1: Well, um, mostly what we do is um, it depends on where your plugin or your custom workflow, workflow activity, how it's being run. If it's being run synchronously, then your, uh, your error is going to show up to the user. Uh, that's just the way it uh, is designed. Um, if it's asynchronous, it's going to show up in the system jobs, uh, underneath the, uh, the settings area. So those things can, or, or will automatically be recorded. If you're using, um, Serum Online, um, 2015 with the spring release or 2016, there is a plug-in trace tool that's built into the system that allows you to record uh, tracing messages whether or not you're actually running into an error so um, it will automatically do it if you have an error or you can set it to where i want to record it um, uh, no matter what happens and that's um, uh, that's pretty viable as well so that's uh, something that uh, that we look forward to with uh, going forward with 2016.
0: So the tracing service has been there before right but it was only available during exceptions otherwise it would be thrown away
1: right Right so yeah so the there was a tracing service that was that's built into the system but um it was never recorded unless you had an exception and um the uh the problem is sometimes you needed that information and um there was no really uh, facility that you could use to track it and with the new facility uh you can track it no matter what happens if it if it was successful or if it was a failure you can monitor either one so you can say uh, don't there's basically three settings uh no tracking tracking on exceptions only or tr- track everything
0: okay so if we go to web resources and client side then what do you use or think about error handling
1: there that really i just handle that with just the native stuff um, I know. Last time we talked about using something like Raygun, to uh, which is an error tracking service. That's uh, that's a possibility. I've been exploring that for some uh, some of my own applications. So that that's a possibility. Um, but other than that, it's just the standard um, uh, facility built into JavaScript. That's really all you, all you have.
0: So you show it to the user that oh something happens and this is
1: technical details. Yeah. Exactly. Because a lot of times the technical details you don't need to show to the user. What you're trying to do is record those somewhere so that you can actually analyze what happened. But you need to show the user a message that doesn't scare them.
0: So you record them in some central place. Is that CRM for
1: you? Well, it, it depends on the error. With plugins, you can't do that because uh, if they're written inside the transaction, they get unwritten So you have to have an external database of some type or a web service that you transfer to. If it's JavaScript, it's not the same type of thing, so you can record those to, say, uh, an exception entity if you want. Um, But having a third-party service like Raygun allows you to actually push things out to a a totally separate and uh, unrelated service that will capture all all your exception data for you.
0: And Reagan can work with plugins, .NETs, uh, and it could work with client-side JavaScript, so you can get all of your exceptions in in one centralized place. Yep, that's what it looks to me. And and just to be clear here, there are more than just Reagan. Uh There can be, I think Stackify is uh, similar to Reagan as well. Okay. Developing here, do you use reviews
1: for the code or you just, how, how do you think about reviews? Um, if you're in a team environment, you have someday somebody to review stuff that's really good. Um, reviews are very helpful for, I think, junior programmers to, to have somebody that's older or more experienced to take a look at it to, to see if they're on the right track. Um, but I, I have, uh, uh friends that I call on when I think I'm stuck and I need to like, you know, I'll, I'll have them like, Hey, take a look at this. Let me know if you think there's a better way to do it. And, and quite honestly, a lot of times there is. So that's one way to handle it.
0: Yeah, and I like reviews too because, as you said, the CRM is growing so fast that perhaps you're missing something or you forgot something that was new a couple of versions ago. And then you're like, oh, yeah, didn't you think about this or that? And if you have a colleague that can review that and sort of look at it, it's always a great choice for me. Absolutely. The web resources is growing on every project that I do. I mean, the custom HTML pages are getting more and then we do the JavaScript. And I always tend to to put a... um, A microservice in between the web resource and CRM, do you do that
1: too? Um, I have had a while, but there there have been cases where, yes, we have done that.
0: Do you do tests on that and do you do error handling on that? And do you do that in CRM or what do you do with this sort of external data, but it's still valuable to the system or the solution in whole?
1: I think that really depends on the situation. It it could go either way, quite honestly.
0: All right. And with that, you mean you can both show it to the user and log it back on the back-end system?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so basically, uh, you know, if you have one repository for exceptions, you could just use that one repository. It doesn't matter if it's inside CRM or if it's an external service. So, you know, whatever whatever you're uh, honestly comfortable using, Uh, and you have a system in place to review those that's i think that's the biggest thing because i've actually worked with customers who've had kind of elaborate uh, error collection or exception collection um, uh, systems that no one ever looked at and what was happening is they were recording errors that nobody ever saw because they absorbed the error recorded it and went on about their business and come to find out things were failing and nobody knew it because nobody ever looked at it
0: all right so it's like you have the the system jobs in the CRM or system jobs view, and no one takes a look
1: at that. That yeah, that's that, that's the very simple. That's the common thing. But what I was specifically referring to is they had they had an entity that was actually um um uh, basically an exception log, and no one looked at that either. So neither, neither one.
0: Alright, so if you have a new CRM implementation, a new customer, do you teach them to go on a regular basis to to this system view or do you put up a dashboard where you add this or how do you go about that?
1: Yeah, so you know, management of, of any serum system is something you just can't, you know, happen by itself. So you really need to kind of have some kind of process that allows you to review it on either a daily, a weekly, a monthly basis, depending on how much work you have. So, um, if you have a very, uh, very utilized system, you know, you may be monitoring stuff on a daily or maybe every two day basis. If you're working, um, uh, you know, if you have 10, 15 users, maybe you only need to monitor it once a month. But you do, do need to monitor it. and It needs to be part of your daily activities. Uh, at, at least it needs to be on your calendar at some point in time.
0: Yeah, to, to see that it's not something that's failing all the time and no one is noting like the asynchronous stuff that we were talking about earlier. Yep. If I'm developing, do you recommend that I have my own Dedicated CRM system, and then I push my changes to TFS, and that's getting deployed automatically to a master development. And well, then that kind that of To test and production. Yeah. How do you think about all this sort of setup for the deployment and and the development?
1: It really depends on on the on the scenario, the number of developers you have, etc. So um, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you have some kind of process. So um, uh, a lot of people have, uh, say, a development virtual machine that they use either per developer, which is great for especially for plugins and things like that, or they have a, a development server. Where you run into issues there is um, right now with, with 2016 CRM, we are fairly at an even parity, not quite, but close enough. Um, to where the code that you run on premises is going to be the same uh, exact serum code that you're running uh, on serum online um, with twenty fifteen there's a, a fairly big gap with stuff. most of the time it doesn't actually cause a problem, but sometimes it does so it's it's one of those where um, having a local environment, you can probably test out most of the things you work with. But, um, if it's on, if it's CRM online, then you, there's no actual way to complete the testing until you deploy it inside of a sandbox instance. If you have one or into your production CRM, if you don't.
0: So what you're talking about here is that if you're developing and you have your local CRM development environment, then you have to install CRM on premise. And that doesn't contain the, the, um, uh, spring release of CRM 2015 update one changes or enhancements that were included in that.
1: Right. Yeah. Because, um, the, like, the, the spring, uh, 2015 release was only for CRM online. So we didn't have, uh, there was no uh, equivalent on premises, so there were certain things that were available to online that were not available on premises. So if you were working within those things, you couldn't test.
0: And and that problem will be back. I mean, there will be a spring <laughs> release for CRM Twenty Sixteen. Uh,
1: yes, that, prog- that problem will be back in a few months, unfortunately. So, um, I, I don't agree with that. Th- uh, I know why Microsoft decided to do it like that, and it was because uh, the on-premises customers were complaining that uh, that they were shipping updates too quick and they couldn't get through their testing cycle. I totally understand that, but the problem is they made the decision for everybody, so now n- nobody has to make the decision. So, and it put ISVs in a very strange place because they're a little two different versions of CRM uh, for the, the same edition uh, uh, could be all the time. And it really makes for a, a, I'm not going to say a nightmare, but it's very difficult sometimes to maintain that stuff.
0: Yeah, not only maintain. I mean, if you're developing and it's working on my machine, so to say, the sort of the developer excuse, this can be a real problem because as you said, we need a test environment, somewhere sandbox solution, or something, where
1: we can test this out to be sure that it is working. Yep, that's exactly it. And um, you know, you're not gonna uh, right now. You're really not gonna get a, a great um, uh, a great story with that. So, unfortunately, that's the way it is. So, you just kind of have to learn to to kind of work around it.
0: My scenario that I was describing before with a dedicated CRM development per user and then to a master CRM. Do you recommend that more just for bigger projects than where you're multi-developer
1: situation? Well, it, it really kind of depends on your situation. So you're not going to get a sandbox unless you have, what, uh, for CRM Online to, what, to 25 users, I think is where it kicks in. So if you have less than 25, you don't get a sandbox instance anyway, so you don't really have a difference. You'll be running in production all the time. So that's a problem, but um, one of the things that you can do is, um, uh, you know, again, it depends on the on the you know the scope of what you're working on, Um, and it depends on your resources, quite honestly. So, if you can create a virtual environment, you know, all you really have to do is spin up an organization that matches uh, your online or your on-premises organization. You don't have to spin up a unique server for each one in most cases you can just spin up uh what what amounts to just a uh a virtual machine with a bunch of organizations in it. I did that with 2011 for quite a period of time. I probably had 30 or 40 different organizations for both customers and, and um uh, uh internal projects and things that I ran and we used that for uh uh just uh you know being able to actually do the code, export the solution, import it into their organization and it was fine.
0: In my scenario where I described dedicated environment that was an organisation and not a total i mean free server setup then right if i go to deploy this then what do i have to think about to to tell customers or i mean i have changes to deploy how do i go
1: about it what's important well, it's you know it always going to be a user impact. So most of the time, you're going to be dealing with uh, exporting and importing a solution from one environment to the, the other environment, and really and truly, that's uh, you know that's always been the, the same. So uh, no matter what version of Serum you're running, so right now, I mean, it's gotten much easier with solutions. So it's not a not the traumatic thing it used to be with Serum four uh, zero. So it's really just having a process that one, you know, what you're doing. Everybody knows when you're doing it, how are you doing it, and if something goes wrong, how do you roll back to what what was there before? That's the key to all of that.
0: So knowing what to deploy, when to deploy it, who's going to deploy it, and what to do when something gets wrong then. That's it, Exactly. If I think about stuff like, okay, I have to import a solution, I have to get in data, do you do something to lock users out while
1: you're doing
0: this? I mean, disable users and then there's, re-enable them again or stuff like that?
1: There's no really good way to do that, so the answer is no.
0: All right. I mean, you could do perhaps, I don't know, advanced find where non uh, crm ad, sys admins are included and then you disable them and i don't know
1: oh no you don't want to start disabling users that's that's a bad thing yeah so yeah <laughs> just right? just, just, a little, just a little bit of communication will be just fine i think
0: okay, so if users are there and something gets ma- messed up you 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 refer them to the email saying don't use dynamic crm while di- during these hours right exactly <laughs> okay. So, um uh, what kind of uh, tools do you think are are good or essential for developing for uh, for develop for CRM?
1: Uh, we mentioned the XRM toolkit uh, earlier, that's good. Um I've got a a com- uh, couple of commercial products that uh, are very helpful to me anyway. Um the first is Snapshot, which is a documentation tool. So that will point uh, – you, you basically point it to your CRM organization. You select the kinds of things you want reported on, and then it will actually generate uh, a series of Word or Excel documents and pull out just about everything you can imagine outside, out of CRM. And then the second one is a, a tool called Explorer that allows you to um, do statistics on the data within your CRM organization so you can determine if your um, – do you have the right information being displayed to the user? Do you have your forms in an optimal uh, design? In other words, do I have fields on my form that have no data or do I have fields on my database that have data but they're not on the form? And unless it allows you to answer these what-if questions to determine what you can do to actually make the user interface better for the users.
0: And then you have a script upgrade uh, helper? Oh, yeah, Then
1: yeah, yeah. I have a... a um. A cool tool called Transformer that, uh, if you're migrating from Serum 4.0 uh, to the higher level, higher environments 2011 plus, will actually do a, a JavaScript um, migration for you. And what that does is actually uh, converts from the Serum 4.0 object model to the XRM.Page object model, which is uh, quite a uh, quite a big deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of new things between CRM4 and let's say today. So that can be really helpful to have a starter page on where to sort of get going. So you don't have to do manual uh, global search and replace things that were kind of problematic before. Absolutely. And the best of these actually I think is the explore for dynamic CRM because that is really useful on revitalization or just going back on a regular basis to check on do do CRM get used as we think or thought were going to be used.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I had a, a partner that bought it the other day for themselves and they had found that they had probably a hundred fields, custom fields that were on in it, uh, the contact entity that were not even being used, uh, strictly because over the, over the period of years, uh, different salespeople had come and gone and modified the, pretty much everybody had admi- administrator access. So they were adding fields, uh, whatever they wanted to do. And what happened, they ended up with a, uh, a system that had just tons of data with no uh, fields with no data in it. And so that was our kind of first job was to go and figure out what was real and what was not and then to actually remove the things that were not real.
0: Yeah, and I find that all the time, even if you do a little bit of manual checkup, you can find out that the thing that they said were super duper important and was really a high priority, but they didn't check it as required. And then you find out three months later that it's almost empty. And yep this Explore product that you have for Dynamic Serum is really helpful for situations like that. Yep. Okay, so if I'm starting up here and I
1: wanna know more about this, where, where what are the links to get going? If you go up to my, uh, um, my website, to serumaccelerators.net, um, there's a three products around the main page, and you can go to each one. And there's trials now for all three of them, so you can download it and see what it actually does. And there's supporting documentation uh, there as well.
0: And then you can look at your teaching Tuesdays that you had earlier, right?
1: Yes. So um, I had to move it because I picked my daughter up from, uh, from uh, preschool on Tuesdays now. So I now have free webinar Fridays. Oh so, yeah, yeah. So it's it's been moved. Uh, so what we do is, um, and it starts actually this coming week. So the twenty second is our the first webinar, of February of January, um, and it's going to be a review of the new feature for twenty sixteen. And so we're doing a two webinar. I'm probably going to be doing two or three webinars a a month. So this month we have um, uh, what do we have? We have. That one and then the other one I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, we have two webinars this month, uh, and then I'm also doing an administration uh, workshop for people who want to learn uh, the ins and outs of doing uh, on-premises maintenance, et cetera, and uh, that'll be pretty pretty cool. That's uh, something I've I've done in the past and got a lot of uh, good feedback from.
0: And some of these are free resources here, and some of them are paid or or is all Yeah, so
1: basically the way it it works, in all honesty, if it's on Friday, it's free. If it's not on Friday, you pay for it. (laughs) All right,
0: that's easy to remember. So the links to this will be added to the show notes.
1: Very good, thank you.
0: And then you have a dynamic CRM team development best practice YouTube video.
1: Oh yes, I have lots of videos out on YouTube. Uh, so basically, uh, what I did all of my uh, video, all my uh, workshops from last year, or my uh, my uh, webinars from last year, were recorded. So they're all on my YouTube channel.
0: So that is XRM Coaches on YouTube. On YouTube, yep. that's it. And I will add the specific to the best practices because we've we've been going through through the best practices here, and then the links to the entire list and uh, the, teaching tu- the teaching Tuesdays. Um, anything else that you would like to add here? Have we missed anything?
1: Um, I'm coming out with some more training this year. Um, so basically I'm starting people out at the very beginning. So I'm going to have uh, some, a series of, um, of uh, resources that people can uh, download that will help them get started on learning CRM so it's basically some uh some some learning uh guides to to help you understand what you need to know to be at a certain level then i have some um books coming out some video training coming out and then again the the free webinars and things like that so i've got lots planned this year so as you stay uh, stay tuned to my uh my different uh, blogs and you'll uh, see what's going on there
0: it seems like you almost don't have time for the the board creative <laughs> <laughs> not much not much all right. Thank you so much, Mitch Milam, for your participation in CRM Rocks. Great, Thanks, Marcus. Appreciate it. And thanks to you for listening. And don't forget that you can subscribe and comment on crmrocks.com or you can just find it in your favorite podcasting app. Just search for CRM Rocks and you will find it. Or you can find it on Facebook now, just facebook.com uh, slash CRM Rocks. See you next time on CRM Rocks.